Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis on all the topics you're talking about football. Talking of bringing news before it becomes news, if you listen to the first edition of the Transfer Window pod this week, you will have heard us discuss the likely sacking of Carlo Ancelotti, which of course happened in the last 12 hours, and of course him being a target for Arsenal. Before we get on to Carlo though, uh, Duncan has some news about Vitor Pereira, who of course was heavily linked with Everton, and indeed we um, reported that talks had been held between Everton officials and the Portuguese coach currently working in China. Duncan, what's the update and uh, what's the possible outcome for Vitor Pereira and where he coaches next? Yes, um, we can add Vitor Pereira to um, the very extensive mix of coaches that Arsenal are considering as a replacement for Unai Emery. Um, I can tell you that um, the the basically the managerial selection committee that um, the Cronkies have put um, in place to come up with a list of potential successors to Unai Emery have been exploring the possibility of um, hiring Pereira, um, who has been proposed to them by his agent, Kia Jirabshin, as he was proposed to Everton by Kia Jirabshin. Uh, they've been making calls to assess his suitability for the job with a view to interviewing him, adding him to that long list of uh, potential interviewees. This comes at the, almost exactly the same time that uh, Pereira has given an interview uh, distancing himself from that possibility of taking over at Everton, saying it um, it's always an honour and utterly grateful to be considered on a list by a club that I have so much respect for. At this point, I'm still the coach of SIPG, a club close to my heart in a country that is growing immensely in football. Currently, I'm not in a position to make any other commitments. I cannot decide now. I need time to think, plan my future by looking to all the options I have. It's a league I love, and yes, for sure, I would consider an opportunity in the future. Just kind of an open-ended statement, um, not saying that he is disinterested in Everton and not saying that it's not a job he would like to take and certainly not saying that uh, the Premier League is a league that um, disinterests him, but um, saying he, he can't uh, make a decision now. Um, what I'm hearing from around him is that um, having told people that he would definitely be leaving Shanghai, he's now suggesting that he has uh, an opportunity to coach um, the China national team, that there's interest in the China national team and in taking him on in the future. And that is a job that appeals to him. Um, there's been reporting that Shanghai want to uh, retain him and uh, extend his uh, very lucrative contract at um, the Chinese club. Um, from what I understand, um, it's very unlikely that Pereira will stay any longer at Shanghai. He's been telling friends in, in the past week that he would definitely be leaving the club. I can tell you that um, Shanghai have been working on a potential replacement for Pereira, um, which would fit with that indication that Pereira expects to be leaving. And that replacement is Luis Felipe Scolari. Um, man of many leagues, many countries and uh, much success in most of the league he's worked in. He was coach in China between 2015-2017 at Guangzhou Evergrande where he won three Chinese Super League titles and the Asian Champions League. So no real shock that um, Shanghai would seek to upgrade on Pereira um, to bring in someone who has a track record of success in the country. Um, 
And I think it's it's going to be very interesting to watch how this plays out because um, I, I don't think it's coincidental that Pereira has given that interview saying that uh, um, or di- disassociating himself from Everton at a time in which Arsenal had begun to ask questions about his suitability for the job. However, as we've said in the podcast, that the list of, of candidates that Arsenal are looking at is an extensive one. And we now have um, the clear availability of Carlo Ancelotti after he was sacked by Napoli um, last night um, following a 4-0 victory in the Champions League, which took them into the knockout stages. Um, and Ian, I think you can give us some details of um, of of how that dismissal came about and that it was of uh, no surprise to Ancelotti at all that um, his owner, um, Aurelio Di Laurentiis, decided to dismiss him and uh, replace him with Gennaro Gattuso. No, not at all, Duncan. Carlo has been expecting uh, a termination of his contract for at least two to three weeks. Um, No wins in six Serie A games, his last six games. Uh, Currently, the club lie in seventh place in the league. Um, I had a text exchange with someone very close to Carlo this morning, um, confirmed that uh, Carlo was um, not upset, not shocked um, by the dismissal, uh, nor even the timing of it coming after a Champions League uh, win and qualification for the last 16. Uh, And when I asked the question, could it be a welcome back to London? The the response was, why not? Interestingly as well, uh, we understand that De Laurentiis called uh, Gattuso to find out if he would replace Ancelotti before the sacking. And that Gattuso, out of loyalty to Ancelotti, called him and said, just so you know, <laughs> I've asked if I want your job. And uh, Carlo, who is a very, very, um, let's say, placid, and um, on, I think he's, he's long in the tooth, put it that way, with regards to how football works, simply said, no problem for me, Hanaro, uh, if this is what's going on. You know, it's not like I wasn't expecting it. Um, does make things very interesting for the two uh, jobs available in the Premier League. We've had lots of questions, Duncan, and this is Wednesday's Your Questions Answered um, about Carlo Ancelotti. I'm just going to mention Harry Peterson, but then um, our old friend Dave Moore, who has asked us, has Ancelotti been sacked because of the likelihood of him taking our job in England uh, or Napoli's current position? Where is he most likely to end up? Duncan, my feeling on that is that, um, and we did say this in the first podcast this week, Carlo retains a house in London. He and his wife very much like living in London. Uh, I think he would prefer Arsenal um, and that you know the lifestyle uh, option, again, of returning to London. Uh, but as you've already mentioned, the recruitment process at the Emirates Club seems to be very, very complicated, not least by the different personalities who are both leading the recruitment uh, per se, but also the suitability and what happens next in terms of a culture change. They tried something different from uh, Wenger with by appointing Unai Emery. What do they do next? And I think you believe that it's not out of the realms of possibility that Angelotti would be interested in the Everton job. Yeah, look, just to fill in on, on what went wrong at Napoli, um, from Carlo Ancelotti's perspective, what went wrong was the owner. Um, he describes a club that is very unprofessional in, in many elements of its structure, um, in the ability for the owner to interfere in day-to-day practice of the club. Um, apparently, he would allow his son to enter the dressing room after matches and reprimand the players, um, something which was anathema to Ancelotti's um, way of managing. He's always set a huge stall around protecting players and um, controlling the disciplining of players and, and feeling that that was his role as a manager to decide how players had to be handled for the best interests of the team. Um, so he was not, I'm told, upset to be dismissed. Um, information I have is that De Laurentiis wanted him to resign. Uh, if you look at what um, 
Carlos said after that victory was asked whether he would resign and he specifically said no I will not resign um, and then the follow up to that was that he was dismissed by De Laurentiis a couple of hours later I also have that information that Gattuso had been in touch with him to uh, to smooth the waters before um, a change of management and that Ancelotti had said no problem at all um, let's just get everything sorted uh, so it's the best circumstances for both of us and good luck uh, with your new job. Understand it's a good opportunity for you. Importantly here in terms of a move to the Premier League, the guidance I have is that Ancelotti does not feel he needs a break. He's quite happy to go straight back into management. Um, is very keen to coach in the Premier League again. His wife would like um, to move back to London, where I think they met originally or certainly um, lived together for a while. So um, Arsenal is appealing from that perspective. Um, obviously, Arsenal is more appealing in the sense of the, the stature of the club, the quality of the squad, uh, less complicated. I think both clubs have plenty of problems at the moment, but less complicated than Everton. However, I'm told that he would not rule out the possibility of taking Everton now. So he, you suddenly have one of the, the big beasts of European management, a man with an incredible track record, particularly in the Champions League, um, available and um, you know very keen to take on jobs that other individuals that these, these clubs are looking at, Max Allegri being a, a key example, has shied away from. Um, you know, Max Allegri came out public I think last week or the week before and said, I won't be working again uh, during the sabbatical period. I want to go back to, into work in the summer. Uh, he's told friends there had been an approach from Arsenal, but he had knocked that approach back. So I think it looks very unlikely that Arsenal could convince Allegri to come. And certainly I would rule out Everton. Um, Manchester United obviously remain an option for Allegri and, and I think with Carlo Ancelotti there's also an option there for Manchester United uh, Ancelotti's been interested in, in coaching Manchester United in the past Sir Alex Ferguson had uh, tried to get him to the club, saw him as a potential one of, one of the, the candidates to succeed him as Manchester United manager uh, Sir Alex Ferguson actually talks in um, one of Carlo Ancelotti's books. He gives a testimony of how he regards him as a manager. He talks about how he had, he had spoken personally to Ancelotti and, uh, and worked on that idea of trying to bring him to Old Trafford and said, um, unfortunately, couldn't make it happen, but maybe, maybe in the future. So I wouldn't rule him out um, from that job. But I think if, if Manchester United still feel he is a viable candidate um, to sort the team out, um, then they probably need to get involved in that process quickly because, um, as we've just explained to you, he's ready to work now. And um, I think if Arsenal were to offer him the job, as matters stand, the, the odds are very high that he would take it. The question, of course, is whether he comes top of the list for Arsenal. Um, remember, they've been through this process with basically the same management structure um, less than two years ago and they got very close to appointing Mikel Arteta then, changed at the last minute after Unai Emery's name was proposed to them by a Spanish agent and in a short period of time appointed Unai Emery. So last time around they went for the experienced uh, European coach option um, and this time you wonder whether they will take that same route. Quite often you see clubs um, going down one route for a management decision. That decision doesn't work out for them for various reasons and they go um, and take an opposite approach. And if they were to, to do that, then you would guess that they would go for a younger coach than Ancelotti. And, and I think there's a degree of concern amongst Arsenal support as well. That, um, that Ancelotti is uh, something of a busted flush after his, his periods of, um, by his standards, um, a lack of success at uh, Bayern Munich and Napoli. Um, and, and I think the public perception 
the supporter perception of the appointment is something that's very important to Arsenal in this decision-making process because the club is under great pressure um, from their supporters uh, because of the lack of on-field results and, and because their financial results have not been great. You recently saw um, them declare a, a loss for the, the last financial year and a significant um, shift from uh, a profitable uh, a large profit they'd made in the previous season to a significant loss they made in the last season and the expectation that they will lose money again this season given their heavy spending in the, in the last transfer window. Well, this is Wednesday's edition of the transfer window. Of course, it's your questions answered. I'm going to throw a little um, interesting spanner into the question factor here because I'm going to predict that this will be a future quiz question when you guys are all out there doing your sports quizzes and that will be which sports stadium facility links Carlo Ancelotti's sacking from both Napoli and Chelsea? <laughs> and the answer is the dressing room because he was sacked outside of the Chelsea dressing room at Goodison Park, ironically, having won the FA Cup and league title the season previously, finished second in that season uh, in the Premier League with Chelsea, but was summarily dismissed um, in a very undignified way in the corridor outside of the away dressing room. And of course, at the start of this season, the same Aurelio Di Laurentiis, the Napoli president, had decided to get one of his mates on a local building firm and to refurbish the dressing rooms uh, at uh, in Napoli Stadium. And um, before the first game was played, the dressing rooms were uninhabitable and they had to get temporary porta cabin dressing rooms outside of the ground to change in. And of course, Ancelotti was bitterly critical of De Laurentiis for this and said it was typical of the chairman and the way that he applied himself to what the team needed in the football club. And I suspect the beginning of the end was right there. So there you go. Just watch out for that quiz question. I've already given you the answer. So, Duncan, we're going to move on to Manchester City. And I think a very interesting point has been raised here by Jetson Gospel, who asks, if Manchester City is the most well-run English club and the best academy setting, why have we seen no centre-backs or anyone step up to the first team, including Phil Foden and, quotes, the best youngster Pep says he's ever seen? I think it's a good question. Um, I don't think there's an argument about the quality of Manchester City's academy. Certainly not an argument about the amount of money that's been spent on it. They have been outbidding um, almost every other club in the, in the Premier League. Um, for a sustained period of time now under Abu Dhabi's ownership. So they've been able to buy in talents like Jadon Sancho by offering more money um, early uh, in their development path uh, than uh, you know, traditional opponents in this area, which would be Chelsea, who, who spent the, the most on academy recruitment for a long period of time in English football. Ball, certainly a lot more money than their, their city rivals, Manchester United. Uh, and have gathered together a very, very talented group of young players in their academy system. Um, they have a problem, though, in that there is a block for those players in getting into the first team, um, which you know the, the listener identifies. Um, there's an obvious block because they've spent more money on the first team than any other club in history. So that the, the quality of players above that academy are extremely good. But I think there is an additional block, which is Pep Guardiola and his, um, his refusal in most cases to take risks um, by promoting academy players. And, and you can understand it because he is under pressure to deliver results in the short term. Um, he's been under pressure to win the Premier League title. He's been under severe pressure to win the Champions League. And his calculation has been, I cannot trust in these young players. I don't have the opportunity to put them into important Premier League games that I need to win um, and be sure that I'm going to win those matches. I'd rather stick with the players in mostly in the mid-20s has been uh, 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 his preferred age with a few of the the, the more established, the, the best of the, the Manchester City buys from 
uh, ahead of his time arriving at the club, David Silva, um, Sergio Aguero, of course, who he had to be persuaded by the club to retain. It was his preference to sell him after his first season in uh, in English football, but the club said, no, please think about that again. And Aguero has, has become a trusted player for him. But I, I think Phil Foden's a great example here because you do have Guardiola on record as saying he is the most talented player he's ever worked with, which is quite a statement given that he was the the man who brought Lionel Messi into Barcelona's team um, and worked with you know a cadre of, of of super talented footballers at Barcelona and some extremely talented players at Bayern Munich as well. You look at Foden, um, who's now 19 years of age um, and looks when he plays to be close to the level that you could see him being a, a first-team starter for pretty much any club in the Premier League um, and in a season in which they are struggling uh, for personnel um, where David Silva's form hasn't been superb, where Bernardo Silva started the season not quite at the level, uh, the exceptional level he was at last season. Um, and Foden hasn't started the Premier League game yet this season. Um, he's only played 83 minutes in total. Uh, in the Premier League and 360 minutes in total in all competitions. Last season, three Premier League starts, 327 minutes played in the Premier League. So for the, the most talented player ever, who's, who is a fair way into that development process, to be getting so little game time, I think underlines um, Guardiola's aversion to risk in these areas. And I, I'm not sure we're going to see that changing in terms of him getting game time when it matters, perhaps there's an opportunity for him because Guardiola's given up in the Premier League and is focusing on the Champions League um, this season. Perhaps that will allow Foden more starts because um, you would think Guardiola can afford to prioritise or at least give more space to academy development than he has been giving in the past because he's given up on on uh, trying to prevent Liverpool from winning the title. But it'll be interesting to watch that. And you know, Guardiola has this image of being a, a coach who promotes youth, but it, it really is kind of a false image because he hasn't promoted youth at Manchester City. He didn't promote a great deal of youth at Bayern Munich. The only time he really did it in his career was when he first came in at Barcelona. So taking players from the Barcelona B side, um, Sergio Busquets being a very notable example, putting them in the A side as soon as he took over as coach and promoting Lionel Messi. But those two players, you're talking about two of the best players um, of their generation, Busquets and, and Messi of all generations. So um, to not promote them, would be the odd thing to do. And um, yeah, over the course of his career, it looks like Guardiola is, a, is very conservative when it comes to playing young players. Following on from uh, that question, another one, very detailed one here from Mindy Boonan, Duncan, about Guardiola. Uh, he asks, his team, Pep's teams, appear so finely tuned and wedded to a way of playing and the regular living that even the smallest deviation from either seems to throw them completely. The argument that Laporte and Zani are missing, both good players, but enough to excuse a 14-point gap to Liverpool, question mark. And this is a manager who spent between £750 million to £1 billion pounds at his time at City, so they even suggest that one or two players missing warrants such failure is frankly laughable. We uh, talked, obviously, yesterday's podcast about Pep's quote saying his team can't compete with with Liverpool and co., Going back to Indy's question, sounds like he's reaching the end of another cycle. Join already formidable dominant club, spend lots of money, implement the Pep blueprint, win a few trophies, other teams catch up, Pep unable to adapt, find solutions by coaching players at his disposable, Pep gives up, goes on sabbatical before his own personal reputation becomes tainted in any way. Well, Duncan, I have to say, Indy Bunan's got a point. I mean, he sounds like he's telling the tale of Pep's career, as you've almost outlined yourself in your last answer. Do you see this as being potentially the end of another pep cycle? I think it's it is a fair summary. Obviously, he only took the sabbatical once, but um, you know, I I talk to people close to Guardiola and who worked for him for a long time, and um, 
one of the things I've heard them say is that Guardiola is very clever about timing his exits. Um, you know, he he can assess when is an appropriate period to leave a club, and uh, and when it's time to take a break, as he did when, upon leaving Barcelona, uh, and when it's time to shift to another environment, as he did when he left Bayern Munich after three seasons, um, taking that job before Christmas of uh, of his final season at Bayern Munich at Manchester City and, and uh, causing Manuel Pellegrini a, a very difficult um, final season at the club uh, and shifting into, you know, what we've described in the podcast as, as the uh, an unprecedented opportunity and having a whole club shaped around your system, your way of playing, um, a chief executive, a, a sports director appointed players, bought top players such as Kevin De Bruyne and Raheem Sterling bought at very significant fees before you even arrive at the club and given a year to bed in there before you arrive. Um, there's no reason to suspect that that's going to change, that he will lose this ability to decide when it's time to, to move on elsewhere. Um, I don't think a final decision has been made on his part when it comes to Manchester City. But again, from looking at the history of his career, um, when things go wrong, he gets itchy feet. And if this season continues the way it, it, it has gone and he doesn't get the right answers from the club in terms of being allowed to um, restructure the first team and he, he's already started making public challenges, as we talked about in the, the first podcast of, of the week, to the board, that they're off the level of the top teams in Europe and, and changes have to be made. If he doesn't get that response, and I think very importantly here, he has another big failure in the knockout stages of the Champions League um, when he is allowed by circumstances to focus the, the team's energy on winning that competition. It could be he, he makes the pragmatic decision that it's time to move to one of his other suitors. And, you know, we know Juventus want him. We know the Agnelli family have said to Pep Guardiola, whenever you're ready to move to Italy, we are here for you. Open invitation. So he has that job in a league which he's said he wants to coach and to go to um, with good resources, with very good players, with, a, you know, a, almost a guarantee of winning the domestic title every season and um, and a, a club that's got close to winning the Champions League, which he needs to win again at another club. He still hasn't done it since uh, since leaving Barcelona. Um, available to him. Um, I think the point about his tactical system is, is, is correct as well. I think um, it's fantastic. The football they play is um, beautiful to watch and compelling and they can completely dominate opponents that other teams are incapable of dominating but it is very fine-tuned and Guardiola himself talks about how difficult it is to keep the players focused on that to get them to the level of being able to control games that way of um, of dominating the ball in the opposition half of being patient on the ball to create opportunities of stopping opposition attacks um, by pressing them quickly. Of course, he won't admit to the tactical fouling part, but that's that's another hard part of the, the system he implements. And yes, what we've seen in the Champions League since he left Barcelona, since he lost Lionel Messi, is that the better teams can find ways around that because they know Manchester City, they know Bayern Munich, they know Guardiola's side is going to play that way. And if you have high-quality players, you can look to take advantages of the spaces in the field that Guardiola's system leaves open. And if you can get the ball in behind them quickly, which, of course, better quality players can do, um, then you can score against them. And, um, and yeah, the, the history is that Guardiola, when, when that happens to him, uh, leaves his clubs. Um, he's, not, he's temperamentally um, not the strongest of individuals. There's a, a fragility about him that can be targeted by opponents and can um, be exacerbated by bad results. So I wouldn't rule out the possibility of him leaving and, and, it, and it will be interesting to see how this season develops and how his mood um, sustains itself through, what, five, five and a half months of knowing he's not going to win the title. Um, 
in England. Uh, and and let's face it, he's never had that situation before. He's never had uh, a, a period in his career where he's won domestic leagues. Uh, in the majority of seasons, he's been at clubs an incredible record of winning national titles. He's never had a situation where he knows he's not going to do it before Christmas. And, and that long period of, um, of having to do press conferences um, and having to suffer not being regarded as the best coach in the division. Well, Duncan, in my experience, I'm sure it's the same for you. Um, the movement of the best and elite coaches comes about through two different avenues, fortune and good planning. Uh, fortune because uh, in the case of someone like Carlo Ancelotti, uh, you could say he's been unlucky in a couple of the games to lose six in a row, even though the writing was on the wall with the chairman. Then that, that job becomes available unexpectedly, um, as it probably did for Jose Mourinho and Spurs. Planning something completely different. Um, that's when a, a coach like, for instance, Guardiola took a sabbatical for a year, lived in New York, knowing all the while that he was having dinner with suitors from the best clubs in Europe, and then took his pick and chose Bayern Munich. Now, I'm going to be a little bit mischievous here, and I'm going to say that Max Allegri turning down Arsenal, um, which we're pretty sure he has done, suggests to me that he has a plan, that he expects or knows that a job is coming up. Now, we've discussed the possibility of Real Madrid, um, but we also discussed the possibility of Manchester United. I just wonder, I just wonder if Max Allegri is looking at the other Manchester club and thinking, there might just be an opportunity for me there in the blue half rather than the red half. And uh, I'm just going to keep my uh, powder dry, have my sabbatical, and then see what happens in the summer. Allegri definitely wants... He's going to be picky about his job. He's not in that Carlo Ancelotti situation. Arsenal have been in touch with him. Um, it's the information I have, and he has not back that approach. Um, and that fits with all the kind of information coming from Allegri's camp that he wants a job where he can compete for national titles and can compete for the Champions League. Um, Arsenal just aren't there at the moment. Manchester United also aren't there, but Manchester United have the financial resource that if you um, can get that club organised properly, then you obviously can perceive yourself and back yourself to get them at a level, and, and it might take two or three seasons, um, where they can compete for the Champions League again. Um, and I think, as we said in recent podcasts, Manchester United are, are kind of a unique proposition at the moment because they're a club of huge financial resource, which is openly publicly stating that they don't expect to win the Premier League for several seasons, that they need multiple seasons of spending to uh, get the squad to the position where they can compete for Premier League and Champions League. And that's just a, a, a novel situation which will appeal to top-level coaches because they'll be thinking, I can go there um, with a, a board that says they want to spend and a board that says they want to be patient and, and some evidence, you know, substantial evidence that they will be patient because I've watched the current coach um, fail to deliver uh, since he became permanent manager, win rate of 33% in the league. Um, and the club appear to be backing him and certainly are publicly backing him. So you can understand why Allegri would be thinking and and. You know, the information I have, again, from people close to Allegri is that it's a, it's a job that appeals to him um, and one that he would be prepared to wait for and see um, what if there is an offer from Manchester United and what that offer is. Our friend, Chile Campion, CTM, that's at M. Sandrino, has uh, also... Uh, got a question about Manchester United, Duncan. He asks, do the wins against Spurs and City give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to at least the end of the season, whatever happens? Or what will be the cut-off point for Woodward? PS, love the pod, and we love producing it for you, Chile Campion, CTM. Duncan, um, I can't see, I mean, two wins don't make a good season, do they? And I don't, I think it's, it's as the elation 
um, about the, the wins over, as you pointed out, Guardiola and Mourinho, two of the best coaches in the world, are impressive. United's league position does not you know, say it's been a successful season. Um, they've got a long way to go in terms of achieving uh, credibility in terms of challenging in the big competitions as well. But at the same time, there's been a feel-good factor that you can't, you know, we can't deny that. There certainly has been renewed confidence after those wins. But what would be, what, do you think Ole is safe to the end of the season? Or do you think that Ed Woodward still has an eye on perhaps getting rid of him before then? Look, as we said in um, Tuesday's podcast, they're hugely important victories for Solskjaer and, and very impressive victories in that he managed to beat Mourinho then Guardiola, space of three days with a day less preparation time than both of his opponents going into those matches. Clearly the best performances of that Manchester United team in, in his, uh, his reign against proper opposition. Um, and he did what was required to do. He set the team up in a way that worked against those opponents. I don't think there was an alternative way for him to play against Manchester City, but he made it happen and he took advantage of um, of breaks going his way in the match. Um, if those results continue, and you have to say his results against the top-end teams in the Premier League have been very good across the course of his uh, almost one-year tenure at Manchester United, then he'll be fine. Um, if he can, if he can get them into the the Champions League qualification positions and finish them there, um, which is the target of the club, um, the Glazers will definitely be happy to have qualified for the Champions League to have retained their the sponsorship money they're in danger of losing. Um, should they go without Champions League two seasons running uh, to get the broadcast revenue from the Champions League? back in. The question of course is whether he can achieve that because the the win rate is not good. Um, you know, they're, they're only on six wins out of 16 matches this season. They're 22 points off the top of the division. They're five points off fourth place. They're in a concertina group of teams. So you can go down to Crystal Palace at 10th who are just two points behind them and seven points off that uh, uh, Champions League place. So th- this weekend's results could have them back down towards the wrong end of the table rather than being the the club just behind um, Chelsea uh, because they have a better, slightly better um, goal difference than Wolves. Um, Solskjaer, you can see from his comments post-match, has taken a lot of confidence and belief and you know, is very bullish about the future. Um he, he talked about um, if we can keep these boys injury-free, we'll take lots of points and we're going to reinforce the squad. He say, said it's physically tough to play football the way I want to play football, but we're on our way to become as robust as I want and need. Um, these boys have the right attitude. They have the belief. They are boys that I want to keep going forward. That's why they are here right now. So he's talking about them taking a lot of points, which is... Interesting, given that the evidence of the season is that they're not going to take a huge amount of points. Um, yes, if they can keep winning games in the way they did against Manchester City and Tottenham, they will. But what, what we've seen through this season is they struggle against teams that set up defensively against them and they struggle against almost everyone in the Premier League newly promoted sides, mid-table sides. If you play against this Manchester United team in a certain way, it's very hard for Manchester United to score because they're predictable. They're they're basically a counter-attacking side that's dependent on the pace of its forwards to score goals, which worked superbly against Manchester City. But in some ways, Manchester City were the ideal opponents for that that, uh, way of playing. Um, So... you you ask, can he sustain it when he only has one way of playing? You ask, is it credible for him to say that um, his way of playing needs is particularly physically demanding? I don't. I'm not sure it is. You know that they they the way they played against Manchester City was to sit in in a deep block and um, and and attack quickly 
off the break, get the ball forward to their quick forwards as rapidly as possible, which they did very well. But that's not really that physically demanding a way of playing. Um, you're leaving the other team to do most of the work, most of the game. He, he talks about them get, becoming robust, which is something he talked about last season and said that his pre-season would fix, that his high-intensity pre-season would, would get the players able to play his kind of football. It hasn't. We've seen the number of muscular injuries they've had, which has been a pattern under Solskjaer since he took charge and changed the, the training regime. Why you would, he would argue that they're becoming more robust halfway through a season when he's had the pre-season period, which should be the period that where you get the players to an optimal level of fitness, and that's followed up with a lot of muscular injuries. And now says they, they are... Um, becoming robust during the season just before they go into the winter. Maybe he's right, but um, my prediction would be they, they go through the winter period where they play uh, more games in a short period of time than at any other point in the season. My prediction is we will see more muscular injuries during that period. Perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps they have sorted out the fitness issues and he, he does have them robust enough and fit enough to play his kind of football. He's certainly optimistic. The club has got a lot invested in him in the sense that they have publicly stated that he was responsible for their great transfer window success in the summer, as they want to describe it, and that he is the right man to lead their cultural reboot, as they like to describe it. They put these things on record. So that there's the opportunity for him to retain his job if he can get the results right. But... Can he get the results right? Because the evidence of the season is that across the course of a Premier League season, when you play every kind of opponent, not just uh, the, 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 the stronger teams who come and attack you, he doesn't get enough results and this team doesn't get enough results to qualify for the Champions League, let alone um, compete for the title. As every coach will tell you, great results can be a great confidence booster, but it can also be a rod for your back. Um, and certainly Solskjaer's two wins over major rivals in Manchester City and Spurs um, have given the club uh, that, that injection. However, if they then do as they did pre prior to those results, and that was draw with two promoted sides in Villa and Sheffield United, I'm sure people will, including the administrators, the owners and the fans, will say, why can't we play like that all the time, especially against lesser teams? In fact, we had an example of it just in the last uh, month when um, Manuel Pellegrini's West Ham side went away to Chelsea and, and won, uh, but lost three games all around that. And Pellegrini's now in danger of losing his job. So again, the owners look at the team, look at the manager and say, hang on a minute, this is a team that beat Chelsea. And Manchester United will be entitled to say, hang on a minute, you're a team that just, you know, took Manchester City and Spurs apart if they you know, have much more mundane results as they've been having prior to those two for the rest of the season. So in answer to uh, Chile Campion CTM's uh, question from me, I would say watch this space. I don't think any manager is guaranteed to keep his job until the end of the season just because he wins two games. So before we get on to the Donkey Awards, uh, we want to give a shout out to Ginger Prince, for um, a whole host of questions that he entered in. Um, I'd just like to say, Scozy, don't be coy. You can use your own name. You don't have to use this pseudonym, Ginger Prince. Uh, we know you love the podcast. Anyway, Ginger Prince has asked us, Duncan, about Jason Sancho and Liverpool. And Eric Bai, does he have a future at Manchester United? Yeah, just pointing, we, we have talked about both of these um, questions in very recent editions of the podcast that, um, that Baye's waiting for uh, United to decide whether they're going to extend his contract. They have an option to add two years to his contract, uh, which the, ends at the end of the season if they don't exercise that option. Uh, before January the 1st, he'll be free to talk to other clubs. Uh, in the summer, AS Monaco were one of those clubs interested in him. In the past, Arsenal have uh, been interested in him and you could see potentially Arsenal coming back in for the player, particularly if United were allowed him to, uh, to get into a situation where he could leave under freedom of contract. Um, but the expectation 
from people close to him is that United will exercise that option. Why would United be delaying? Will they have to pay him more money if they uh, they take up that two-year option on his contract? There's an automatic step up in his salary, um, which probably explains the delay. Jaden Sancho, um, we talked about that as well, uh, his unhappiness at Dortmund and that his camp uh, have indicated that Liverpool are one of four clubs they have approaches from that Sancho would be interested, very much interested in moving to the others being Real Madrid, Barcelona and Manchester United. And uh, while we've been doing this podcast, I've just had a an update um, from someone close to Vitor Pereira and they are suggesting that the, he does have an offer from Shanghai and that offer is for 25 million euros a season. And that explains why he has... Um, made that statement um, so distancing himself from Everton. Uh, let's see how it pans out and whether he does in fact sign a contract extension at Shanghai, but there's quite a lot of scepticism around that from the Chinese end. It's never the money, is it? It's always the legacy, the challenge, you know, for, for everyone who goes to China. It's never the money, and we can see why. Uh, thank you to everyone who sent us questions uh, into for this week's podcast. Uh, and I mean everyone, uh, even though we obviously can only do a limited amount, but we do try to answer uh, all of the top topics that you're asking about, even if your name doesn't get mentioned. Keep sending them in. And as you know, we love to keep the debate going, which you can do after the podcast finishes uh, at Transfer Podcast at Duncan Castles at Garbo SJ as well as trans app transfer podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, so bear that in mind. And look, you can start sending questions for next uh, Wednesday's podcast now, if you like, because we take the note of all of them and we pick the best ones to read out and discuss. Now, our favourite time of the week, of course, is the Donkey Award. And in honour of um, one of the candidates uh, in this week's UK general election, uh, of course, this being the day before voting takes place as the last day, we can mention it, we couldn't even mention it tomorrow because that would be against media rules. This will be the Donkey Award, uh, inspired by Boris Johnson for stealing a journalist's phone while evading problematic questions. Uh, this, of course, refers to uh, the... Uh, well, I'd say that he was the Prime Minister, he's currently not at the moment, when he was shown a picture of a four-year-old uh, child lying on a pile of coats in a hospital suffering from pneumonia, uh, and he refused to discuss it. Now, got lots of uh, great nominations, I'm sure, because this is a kind of subject which football managers are absolutely adept at. Here we go. Just opening the golden envelope there. Duncan, we have uh, three well-known managers, and well-known also for... Uh, at least exhibiting this kind of behaviour uh, when under scrutiny. Uh, we're going to go for our old friend Jurgen Klopp, first of all, a man who basically does not answer any questions he doesn't like. Uh, he just smiles and laughs and moves on. We've got Pep Guardiola, who, when he's, when he's asked about tactical furling, I should say, he always denies that he has ever instructed his team to do that, despite the fact that both one of his coaches and just recently one of his own players admitted it on the record. And Arsene Wenger, dear old Arsene, for his entire career at Arsenal, never once saw a decision that should have gone against his team uh, when asked about it, uh, bringing uh, lots of questions about his eyesight during that period. Uh, Duncan, who do you think is the worthy winner of this week's donkey? Uh, Arsene Wenger, I think um, you, you have to credit Arsene with being one of the best managers to do press conferences with for the vast majority of his time at Arsenal and that you could ask him just about anything and get a fascinating, well-thought-out answer to it. And, uh, and the old, I didn't see it, was uh, became something of a comedy act by, by the end of it, which um, all parties knew exactly what was going on. So I'm going to exclude him from this. Um, Jurgen Klopp, uh, we haven't seen much of it recently, to be fair to to the German uh, Meister because he has been winning virtually every match of late but he does have a habit of if you ask him a difficult question um, attacking the journalist's credibility um, uh, and you'll see various examples of this in video um, uh, it's throwing the, the question back at the journalist and saying um, 
did did you see that or what did you think or I, I can't believe you understand football if you if that's that's the question you're asking me so quite a quite a temper to him and um, which has been exhibited throughout all of his career but I think um, for sheer bloody minded evasion of questions and reality it has to be Pep Guardiola for this particular award um, the tactical fouling stuff is hilarious um, huge statistical evidence of it throughout his career as you say we have um, Rodri talking about his adaptation process to um, English football and saying that he had to learn how to tactical foul and he, he hadn't quite got it right yet you've got um, Guardiola's former assistant talking about the importance of, of getting the ball back within five seconds. And if they didn't do that, foul the opposition to stop their attacks. But Pep Guardiola, whenever he's asked about it, no, he never, ever would coach and instruct his players to foul. That's been the party line. And it's, um, yeah, I think uh, him and Boris Johnson have got a, a certainly a fair bit in common in this area. Although I've yet to see Pep Guardiola swipe a, a, a journalist's phone or digital recorder and stick it in his pocket to try and uh, evade the tactical fouling issue but you know maybe maybe that's the tactic to be used down the line Pep You know you just created a horrible image in my head of Pep wearing a blonde mop wig when you said they've got a lot in common there you know I, I'm trying to dispel it from my mind but I can't anyway uh, <laughs> as we said we'll continue the debate with you after the podcast between the podcasts uh, you know the uh, the Twitter accounts and, of course, our Instagram and Facebook as well to get in touch. If you love and like the podcast, as thousands of you do, please get onto iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and the community expands naturally and organically. That's all for Wednesday's Your Questions Answered. I would like just the last mention, Duncan, to go to our very, very good friend, Luke Shaw, who, on hearing of Inter Milan's relegation to the Europa League from Champions League last night, trolled Romelu Lukaku with the message, welcome back. So to the king of the kebab house, our message is, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Let's see if uh, Manchester United draw into Milan and we'll see who comes out on top there. This has been Wednesday's Transfer Window until Friday. Thanks for listening. Hey.